Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is so exciting. I know. You all have to understand that I have known this child since the day she was born. And I'll never forget when she was not even three years old, I was sitting by her mother at the swimming pool. And we all of a sudden looked up and Caroline was on the high diving board. And we had no idea she had run up there. And then she said, hey, and jumped off into the pool. And we shrieked, but she popped right back up. So we knew at that moment that she was fearless and going to be a tough competitor the rest of her life. <laughs> that is funny. I did love the high dive and being uh, a little dangerous. Like you, Kay, I, I'm just taking my, taking my lessons from you. <laughs> being fearless. That's right. So I kind of, I want to talk, it's obviously, I've known you my whole life. It's been so fun to really be, more than just family friends, oftentimes I feel like we are family. Like Ben, your son, introduced my sister, Catherine, to Willie, her husband. We've taken family vacations together. We've, I've grown up with your kids. It's been really fun to just be so close with you my whole life. I love y'all so much. Uh, same here. And it's so awesome to have someone like you who's such a badass woman who is like, like I love on your website, you have founder, author, artist, trailblazer. You really are a trailblazer in the workforce. Um, you wrote a book. You're an artist. You're a mother. You're a wife. You do it all. So I kind of want to break down your titles because I feel like obviously it sums you up amazingly. Founder. Let's talk about that first because you're a woman founder of a huge advertisement firm. 
Yes, uh, well, this is an interesting story because in 1989, I started my company, which is T3, and it was in a very deep recession. So we were in bad times then. And so I've seen several rounds of really, really desperate times. I've been through several recessions. This particular incident we've just going through right now with the coronavirus is, is unique. Uh, but I've, I've survived quite a few different tough storms in business. But my company was started in Austin, Texas, which was a sleepy little town at the time, 1989. And we ended up growing to be one of the largest digital firms and the largest woman-owned advertising agency in the country, uh, working with Fortune 100 companies. But it was always about, you know, innovation and embracing technology and hiring the very best, smartest people I could find. And that was really the secret to it. If you uh, break it all down. I did sell the company at the end of October, which was interesting timing as we look back now because uh, with what's going on with business right now, things are in turmoil and it probably would not have happened uh, had we not been able to close in October. So I have um, kind of closed that chapter of my life, but it was a 31-year run and uh, quite a, a great one, I must admit. Well, and I love your story. I love success stories because I was reading your website and you're saying you were working for another ad company and they didn't necessarily love your ideas or they thought they were cute. And you're like, okay, so you just cashed in, you had 16K and like some sort of fund and you cashed it in. You're like, I'm just going to start my own company. I mean, that takes serious balls. Yeah, well, it did. And I, it was kind of one of those things where everyone was in really bad financial straits at the time. And my husband and I leave were really pretty much broke, if you want to put it that way. Uh, and so to go out and get my last savings, which was literally $16,000, uh, and it was in a retirement account, uh, was was all I had really to start the company, which shows you that it didn't take a lot to start an ad agency in 1989. Uh, and, and that's what I did. But my whole deal was I could not fail. I absolutely had no room for failure because the family depended on it and I had to really, really do a great job. We couldn't lose a client. We had to do our best work and it was, you know, it was an all out effort basically. And my first, I hired two people right off the bat to help me start. And then we just one by one just kept adding folks and adding great clients. And, uh, you know, it's a long story, but it really started with, with a pretty desperate situation. <laughs> and I, I think a lot of people can take note from that right now because so many businesses are, are closing or having to rethink or, or rework themselves right now. And sometimes uh, in the most desperate of times, uh, comes real sheer grit and determination and innovation that allows us to actually move up and move on. I feel like that's sort of your motto for life in general is just to not like you in your artwork, you have a whole series called the silver lining. Like you are all about your book is all about being cowgirl and grit. And I feel like that's sort of your motto in life because like when you took that 16,000 out, what does that feel like when you have all this pressure on your shoulders? I mean, you already had a daughter. You were a mother. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it really was. And I had two stepsons at the time, too, Ben and Sam, who were uh, I felt like were mine from the beginning. But uh, there were three of the, them, and they were really young at the time. And my husband, Lee's job was really in jeopardy as well. So it was it was really hard. And I, But I 
was so excited, though, Caroline, about my idea of what this agency was supposed to look and feel like. And that's why, that was the main reason why I left the other company, because I had put together a business plan around a new vision for an agency that I thought was going to be the answer to the future. And when it wasn't accepted by the CEO or president of our company, I literally quit and, and went to do this. And it was kind of a crazy stamp decision. I had not sat around for weeks and months and thought about starting my own company. It was just one that I felt like I was so passionate about what I believed in was the new agency model that I just I had to do it. So I did. But it was really kind of foolhardy in some ways because I look back on that and who was going to hire me? There were no jobs. So had I not been able to do this and, and go out and just start my own shop, then I probably wouldn't have had a job and that would have been really desperate. But, um, you know, when you feel like there's no room for failure, you find a way. Uh, and that is the only way is, is for to survive. And But I didn't want to just survive. I wanted to create a place that was different. And uh, from the very beginning, we weren't just an ad agency. Uh, that's why it was called the Think Tank. Because, and T3 stands for the Think Tank. Because we wanted to come up with ideas that weren't always ads. And we did interesting programs and things. One time we did a university-level marketing academy for with Dell Computer Corporation. And it totally changed their direct model strategy. But that's not what an ad agency typically does. But we would always come up with things that help the marketing solution, be it something like that, or we even organized a parade one time <laughs> that was really going to help promote something. And so we always looked at things uh, differently. And then when this thing, the Internet, came along, we embraced it. And we were one of the very first little agencies that actually grew into direct marketing through the internet, uh, experimenting with the very first email campaigns, successful metrics around those. And then uh, that's why, honestly, I opened an office in New York. And we did have offices around the country when I sold the business because we were looking for the right talent to be able to lead into some of the digital campaigns that we were doing and the media campaigns we were putting together. So it was all just this evolution, but it was always embracing what's next. You know, we always said, we love what technology is doing to the industry, while some people who we were competing with were dragging their feet and going, we don't like these changes. We don't like what's happening. And we just said, let's take it. Because what we really always watched is the consumer and the end uh, consumer out there would tell us what to do. Uh, let's say our client is Allstate. Well, where, how are their customers really getting information? And we would look at that and study that and then deliver solutions that would ease the relationship between Allstate and its customers. And that's how we would grow the business and that's how we came up with some pretty innovative new things through the years. So you were really there to serve your client, not just be like, this is the way we do things. You're here to be like, okay, let me investigate you as the client and really meet your needs. Exactly. And, and, and again, it always went back to really understanding who their customers were. And, you know, if they were all going to be getting their information through a digital watch, well, we better be there. And we always would say, we've got to follow that. We were one of the very first 
social media companies in the entire United States because I remember years and years ago we were working with JC Penney and we had this idea where I don't know if anyone remembers chat rooms and, and you just said chat online chat was some of the first ways to communicate and um, one of my staff would go out to LA and sit in Cindy Crawford's living room and literally do the chat talk for her and it was for JC Penney a line of, of things she had created for JC Penney so those were those very first experiments and some of these new things that no one was doing. We were one of the very first to harness mobile advertising or mobile marketing and how you could use that and how you could really fence. We did things called geo-targeting, geo-fencing, and now it's just commonplace that everyone knows where you are. I mean, we're even tracing people by their cell phones, you know, around virus areas and that sort of thing. But you dial way back and no one was doing some of these things. But we always said, let's look at what technology can afford us and what we can actually do to help our clients connect with their customers and make it easier for their customers to do business with them. And if we could make it easier for customers to do business with our clients, then we'd always win because they would end up getting more business and growing and sales would go up and that's what it's all about. Why do you think other companies don't think like that? that well, one of the things... Serve, your clients, serve their customers. Yeah. I mean, a lot of companies are customer centric and we know that but because we were always independent uh, and never owned by a big conglomerate and you know didn't have that hanging over us to be honest and I really never intended that uh, is that we were very nimble and yeah, you can Quickly. We could move fast, and a lot of companies, because of their structures, were not able to put together teams to do certain things or decide, okay, we're just going to open an office in Atlanta tomorrow because we need to serve these customers and be on the ground. So we could do what we wanted to do to best serve our customer with absolutely no oversight and no one hanging over us saying, uh, making second guessing, basically second guessing uh, the decisions we would make to do what we needed to do. And and again, we got real, we love technology and we were in Austin, home base there. And even though, like I said, it was a sleepy town when we started, it was a real hub for technology and a lot of really cool people were starting together in Austin who um, would meet outside of their companies and we weren't necessarily competing, but we were a, a team of technology developers and software engineers and folks that were really excited about how to take this medium to the next level and what you could do with it. Something else that I think is really amazing as a new mom, I love that you are thinking about the full picture of who you hire. And you put together a program where moms and dads can bring their babies to work. That's out of this world that you allowed that. I mean, that's so new, like so just visionary of you to do that. Tell me why that was important to you. Well, this was over 24 years ago. Well, now it's been, gosh, yeah, uh, 20 some odd years ago, maybe 28 years ago that we did this. And it started because of a sheer need. Uh, we were growing the Dell business, uh, Dell Computer Corporation. It was starting to really grow. And I had four women who were very key that worked on my team to the business. And ironically, Caroline, they all got pregnant within just a few weeks of each other. And I've never understood how that happened, but it did. And uh, we always laughed and said, was there an ice storm or something that I missed? Uh, something happened. Um, but they did. And so one by one, they would come and tell me that they were pregnant. And I was, my stomach would just drop because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose 
her or I'm going to lose her. And so after a few weeks of thinking through this, I just went back to him and I said, why don't you bring your babies to the office and we'll help you take care of them. And they were astonished because no one had even thought of something like this. And to me, it was just a think tank solution, like everything else at yeah. T3. Like, how do you solve a problem? Well, you make come up with something different. And so my attorney didn't want me to do it because he said, you're not a licensed daycare. And I said, we're going to do this. I don't care. We're going to try it. So we did. And we tried it. And we had to learn through the years uh, exactly how to perfect the program. But because of it, we had over 100 children, babies, come through this program uh, while I was oh. there. And it was amazing. And we followed a lot of these uh, young people as they've grown up. And I'm even going to one of their weddings this month, next month. And uh, it's exciting to see how they've all really done well in their lives and careers. And I think it's because we gave them a great start at T3. But, you know, this it has been, it was a very avant-garde idea. I, I wish more companies would embrace this. I've talked about it for years. I've been on the Today Show, ABC Nightline, USA Today. I was honored in the Rose Garden of the White House for our innovative program. But still, a lot of companies were dragging their feet. And possibly out of, you know, the way we're starting to work a little differently, there's some, you know, more remote working, there's a lot of different ways to look at how we run our businesses, that possibly an idea like this will finally have its day. And uh, both men and women did take advantage of it. And I had some really good dads who brought their children in, and uh, we all helped. Like I said, we pitched in, we helped. But Parents, though, were responsible for their child once they brought them in the door until they left. But again, it was, it was a welcoming community of people, and it really, really made a difference in our culture. So not only were we helping out the parents, it sent a message through the entire organization that we care about you as a person and that we know that your family is important to you. And making the decision to bring a child into the world is a big one, and we want to help ease that for you and rather than it being angst and a burden and a really tough thing to have to balance work with that young infant. I just think that's incredible, Gay. I feel like that would just make, that's not only is your company innovated just because of the way you structured it, because of the way you navigated your clients and the way y'all did business with them, but also if I was a woman saying I want to start my career but I also want to have a family, I would be so stoked to know that I don't have to pick or feel like I'm sacrificing. That's a huge deal. I just think that's incredible. <laughs> Yes, and you really understand this now because of your wonderful little daughter and it's all those decisions are tough um, and parents will sometimes opt to stay home uh, with their child and I understand that and appreciate that but we found that once we could segue that mom especially but the moms and dads through those first months where they were really new parents and angsting over every little thing because you haven't been through it before and um, and so if we could ease them and then other members of the staff would come in and say, hey, my pediatrician told me about this. Maybe you should ask about it. Or if there was a baby was crying too much, we could say, well, maybe this is it. And people were helping. It was like a community, you know, of helping to raise that child, giving advice and uh, being there for that person and supporting them. Once they could get through that and realize that, okay, I kind of got this down, then it would make it easier for them to come back to work either part-time or full-time eventually and, and be a part of the team again without that worry that they didn't do the right things when their child was really 
very young. And that's the tough part. You know, I always said that in nature, uh, animals have their babies and in the wild they have their babies, but they don't leave them until they're on their feet. And sometimes yeah. that's only a few days, but I mean, and even then they don't, the, the, the moms take care of those little babies until they get to be independent enough to be okay. And so why should we be any different? It's what I always thought. We've got to get them on their feet. And um, once you do that, once you've kind of gotten them through those first early moments of development, months of development, then I think all of us are more comfortable with the fact that, okay, we've got this now. Totally. So you're talking about nature. Your ranch, Double Heart Ranch, and Longhorns are very much a part of you and the way you navigate life. Tell me about that, especially the Longhorn. You're talking, you did a whole thing about Gypsy Princess and the wisdom <laughs> you've learned from Gypsy Princess, your Longhorn, which I think is amazing. Um, I wrote it down. It's like, through good times and bad times, she guides her herd through storms, drought, and bringing up their young. And what you've kind of gathered from her is get out in the sunshine, keep your chin up, stay calm, lead with purpose, help those who need guidance find their way, be thankful for each day. Talk to me about the way of the Longhorn and why that's so important to you. Longhorns have a very interesting history, and uh, we'll make this brief, but they were, they actually ran wild uh, after the Spaniards kind of abandoned them back after the 1600s, and they kind of were wild animals, basically, running uh, freely, and uh, after the Civil War, there was a big demand for beef, and so that's the day of the cowboys and cowboys came in they rounded up the longhorns drove them to the railheads in kansas and just about wiped out the longhorns they were almost extinct which a lot of people don't even know now but in the 20s there was a few families and and my husband's family lee's family was part of this they actually went out and found what was left of the longhorns there were a few herds left and they decided to save the longhorns which they did and Thankfully, today, they are alive and well and thriving, and there's quite a few longhorns uh, all over the country. But we decided to always have them because they have this spirit about them that we can all learn from. Yes, they were wild, so they learned how to survive, and they learned how to have almost a 99% success rate in birth because they were in the wild and there was no human contact. So they were, became disease resistant and all these things uh, because of that. And still today, they are very, very wily and smart, and they're not like a lot of other cows. And they do use their horns to protect themselves. That's why they, their horns grew longer and longer. It was a protective mechanism. And so we love them. They, they are noble. Um, they have a real character about them. And I learn from them because uh, fortunately, we're able to let them kind of roam all over our ranch and they have a nice place to hang out. <laughs> but I do learn from them because they you can tell when a storm's coming what they do and they'll sense it first and you can see how they handle certain things and we do go through droughts and all of that and they can you know live on not a lot although we feed ours but uh, one time I went to a Longhorn auction Carolina this is so funny the auctioneer looked out in the audience and he said now don't be worried that these Longhorns are a little thin he said they came from a place where a jackrabbit has to pack a lunch and so I always thought that was the funniest thing uh, but th but they they can survive on a lot of different things so for me that's a real lesson and that what do you have to do to survive but how do you keep strong, keep your head up, and keep going, and be excited about that 
birth of the new ones and, and they help each other, they create these nurseries. And so yesterday I was driving by a, a group of them and there were maybe eight young calves and they were Frolic around, frolicking around in the pasture, but there was one who was watching them, and so she was designated as the mom of the uh, of the Longhorns that day. And they take turns while the others graze, and so they just have this way of taking care of each other. So it's not just one for all, all for one. It is it's basically, you know, they have a, a community system too, and and they help each other out. And it's really really interesting to watch them. Uh, just navigate life. So I learn a lot from a lot of things in nature, but they're, they're very noble. I really love them. You obviously are very community driven the way you run your company, the way you live your life, the way you learn from Longhorns. This is just a crazy time in life right now, what we're going through COVID. And now there's all sorts of stuff happening with rioting with George Floyd. And it's just a really wild time in life. How do you, how do you navigate this kind of situation? Because I know we're all looking for leaders to help guide us in navigating something we've never weathered before and when change needs to happen. Like, obviously, the world is crying out for change right now, and we're all in the middle of a pandemic. So how do you navigate situ- a situation like this? Yeah, we do need change. Um, there's Sometimes we get very, a lot of people, let's say, and a lot, and it's just human nature that you get very comfortable with the status quo. And we say, well, this is just the way it works. But that was never the way I ran T3. That was never the way I've really run my life, is that change is inevitable, and we absolutely have to embrace it and get ahead of it. So I'm glad you asked this question. Um, I am working on right now a program that is to really put jetpacks under leaders to help them embrace these things. Um, I'm hopefully, hopefully going to roll this out in the fall, but there will be some webinars and different uh, programs that we're going to put together based on just the lessons I've learned in life and how I've been able to navigate some of these things. One of the things we have to be aware of right now is that it's not easy to, to be the agent of change. And when you are leading people, they're going to look to you if you are a leader and you have to absolutely gain their trust and you have to do what you say and say what you do, because if you don't, soon the people will disperse and become chaotic again. So my my lesson was always to bring people along, you know, and I, I was always working so hard to make sure that my teams saw that I was being real and honest and doing what I said I was going to do because of, you know, you don't, you lose trust and it's really, really hard to guide people. So it comes down to some basic principles, you know, and as a Texan and just kind of growing up around people in a small town, our lives were pretty transparent and authenticity, honesty, integrity, all those things we talk about are absolutely critical if you're going to be a leader. Um, And that didn't mean I did everything right, and I certainly made mistakes, but I tried to own up to them too. Uh, When I felt like a mistake was made or something was misspoken, I did my best to address that right away. The worst thing that can happen is you just brush things aside and hope they go away because People get upset, and then that festers, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And and you see some of the things going on now, and I, you know, it's certainly uh, an injustice that has happened to this this individual, George Floyd. But um, it's it's 
there's a lot more behind it than that. And, and we all have to realize that it's um, a lot of pent-up frustration and uh, disappointment and fear on top of this virus situation, which already had people in fear and upset and, you know, worried for their livelihood, worried for their lives. And I think the saddest thing that I'm seeing right now is that some of these small businesses and people are, were trying to reopen and then to see their businesses looted and destroyed is just heartbreaking, you know. So it's going to take real leaders though, that stand up and, and take care. You have to take care of your people too. Uh, and if you're going to take on role of leader, it's your job to take care of people. Uh, and not that the people need all your care, and I'm not saying overbearing care, but you've got to care enough and do the things you have to do to protect your organizations, your people, your families, and that's what a leader needs to be able to do. And so I'm hoping to be able to impart some of this um, knowledge and information to some people along the way so that they're prepared for those kinds of challenges. And you put a lot of this information in your book, Cowgirl Power. Talk to me about your book and the inspiration behind that and kind of the idea of what the book's about. Yeah, a few years ago, a couple years ago, we published this book called Cowgirl Power, and it was based on the fact that I decided I needed to finally put down in writing my story of starting a business from the ground up, um, running a successful business, and then the li life lessons I had. And I juxtaposed upon that some very gritty characters that I wanted to introduce. And they are these cowgirls that I've just put little vignettes about in the book, throughout the book, and they were women who lived in from the late 1800s up in, to the 1930s in that era. They competed against men. They were very successful and very competitive, um, and I wanted people to know who they were because I, I just watched again the, the movie Hidden Figures, and it was so interesting to me to see that many times there are women that stood behind something and were really the the knowledge or the basis behind a program or behind a movement or behind whatever and then you forget about them and they weren't written down in the history books so I call them my cowgirls my cowgirls weren't really remembered I went out and researched about these women and found them to be extraordinary human beings on many levels and I wanted to put them in there so they're there just to kind of Make sure people say that, wow, look what they lived through. They all lived through the Spanish flu. They all lived through incredible hardships and, you know, dealing with settling this country and so many things that we can't even imagine now. And if they could do it, we can do it. And I've always said that learn from your elders, learn from the past, and learn from amazing women that have gone before us. And that's why they're there. Now, the book is an entrepreneur book also, and I put some very specific instructions in here on how to run a meeting, how to really deal with situations, and it's, a, it's not just a theoretical book on business or entrepreneurship. It's the true stories. It's the real grit, and I also recount a little bit of my childhood and why I am who I am because I think that's important for people to understand that I didn't come from, you know, a huge pile of money that I could live on the rest of my life. I had to make my way, and um, I wanted everyone to understand that, that it can be done. It's kind of one of those American dream stories, um, and it's still possible, and we still live in a country. Yes, go ahead. You also had a navigating your dad at a really young age. Yeah. 
Yeah, I lost my father when I was I was barely 13, and I finally told the truth in the book about what happened to him. Uh, we always kind of put aside a little bit of that, but he was a World War II veteran and had very, very serious uh, situations that happened to him in the South Pacific, and he was basically killed there, and we didn't know it. And long story, so he would have been today uh, described as someone with PSD, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, no one even talked about it back then. And he navigated it really well. You know, he, he wouldn't have known it really, except that there were all the symptoms and things there. And it, it was what killed him, really. And so I, I talk about that. And it was tough to get through it. But it made me tough because I had to immediately go to work. I've worked, Caroline, ever since I was 13 years old, I've had a job. And really? uh, that's just who I am. Yeah, some sort of job. Sometimes they were bigger than others. And when I was at the University of Texas, I was a teaching assistant and I had other jobs that helped pay my way. I got a partial scholarship. And so I was always, you know, trying to make money and support myself and my family. So you really are the American dream. You did all this on your own with no financial help. That's right. <laughs> and so it can be done. It's just, it's, it, but you know, Carolyn, one of the things I talk about in the book and, you know, there's a lot of people saying that, you know, well, you know, we have the reason to cop out and you can do this and that. Well, that's fine. And, you know, and be, be um, wounded and all these things, but to be able to move forward it just takes hard work, and that's the only thing I can tell you. And even being a painter again and going back to my art, I've worked really hard at it. And there's no shortcuts to things. You know, if you want to be successful, if you want to get someplace, you just have to put in the work. There's no other way around it. And I hate to tell everybody this, but, you know, if you may get lucky on a few things, and that's fine. But um, they always say the people who work the hardest are the luckiest. Uh-huh. So what do you tell people when you give talks all around the country and the world? You go around and you've done, you've done TED Talks, right? Yeah, TEDx and uh, TEDx Women. I've spoken all, really literally around the world. And uh, the, the messages are pretty universal, really. Uh, everyone's looking for some, kind of the same guidance. And I don't speak just to women's groups, although I have done that, because I think uh, I would like more women to feel empowered and that's what the whole cowgirl power thing is it's not to teach people about a top-down power that's the big message here this is that i'm going to control you i am top-down power you will do what i say that is an old model this is about empowering the individual mm -hmm. digging down deep into who you are and realizing that you have an incredible amount of power that lives inside you and then how do you use that to move things forward to do the common good, to grow businesses, to nurture great families, to lead in your communities. And whatever you choose to do in your life, that power is there and you listen to it and you let it recognize it. And it's okay to say, yeah, I felt powerful in that moment. And because of that, it gives me confidence to go on and do the next thing. So I teach people in this to say, all right, go back and think about the times where you felt powerful. And I don't care if it was just because you ran that first marathon or you, you know, got to do something you never done before. And all of a sudden in that moment, you felt, wow, you know, I made the best grade in the class or all these things that can happen to you along the way. Go back and think about it. How did you feel in that moment? Yeah, I felt powerful. I felt, wow, I accomplished something. And then that gave me confidence to do the next thing. 
And that's what it's all about, really, is finding and harnessing that inner power that you can use for good. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And I feel like now the tides are totally shifting in this day and age. Women are definitely being heard and given more opportunities. And it's it's like, it's, it's a change is happening where women are definitely more accepted as leaders. But it's still up and coming. It's still not quite the total norm. It's not quite a woman's world yet. It's definitely, we're still evening it out from being a man's world. So I feel like it is so amazing that you are this leader and you are sharing your knowledge with other women and I love that you say it's not from the top down because I could not agree with you more and I wrote down a couple things that you said when you look when you hire someone and I think this is just really amazing when you hire people you want people who are going to add to your picture you do not want to be the boss who tells everybody what's to do and overseeing everyone you hire people who are curious self-starters they take time to learn and study um and, oh, something else you said is when you are moving along your life, you find people all along the way who have pieces to your puzzle. And they hold an important piece to your puzzle because no one is born with all of their puzzle pieces. I thought that was amazing, and I would love for you to break that down. But you're also saying, like, understand your clients, learn your strengths, and make sure you know who you are before you come into a job because knowing your strengths is so important, and don't worry about your weaknesses and be on teams where they cover your weaknesses and then be nice and deliver positive ideas and contribute. I just think that's so profound, but yet it's still so simple, but that's not necessarily the norm of how businesses are run. So Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I learned early on, I, I had leadership positions in high school and a couple of those leadership positions, I did 
try to use the autocratic top-down power and I had huge pushback and literally by the time I graduated from high school I had been very successful in running a lot of things and those organizations did well but I lost a lot of friends over it and I, I learned a lot from that uh, I learned that you got to bring people along you got to give people credit for what they are and it's not just all about you but when you're younger sometimes you don't understand that one of the things I want to pick up on that you said though is I was very fortunate to learn early on in my career about who I really was and my strengths and weaknesses and all those things. One of the things that I find that holds women back is that they worry too much about what they don't do well, the weaknesses they have. And we all have inherent weaknesses in our personality types and our work styles. It's just we can't be great at everything. It's fine. You're not. So learn what the things you really are very, very good at, look straight in the face at things you're not good at, and then you find people who I always said would shore up those weaknesses. I'm really good at outbound. I was good at outbound sales. I was good at, you know, gaining trust with clients and meeting them and understanding their needs and all those things. But I wasn't good necessarily at operations and making sure that everyone had a desk at the right place in time and that our technology was up to speed and all of that. And I also wasn't always the best person to come up with the creative strategy, you know. So I always, I was creative, but, you know, I wasn't necessarily that person. So I always found those people who were very strong. And I was never afraid to be surrounded by people that I would say were smarter and stronger than me and could really do the things I couldn't do well. But they understood me too. And they knew that it was a symbiotic relationship. They weren't necessarily the ones who wanted to get out on an airplane and go meet all the clients and, and do the things that I did well. So it was a very beautiful thing <laughs> to be able to put together these teams where we all benefited from each other. And that's what you have to do. Women and men need to just say, forget the weaknesses. Okay, I understand what they are, but let's get someone else to do that. Let them shine and do those things well. I don't have to be that. And that's a really important lesson I'm doing more and more teaching of this to young people I'll say young people I've had some quite a few college students who've come to me recently and I've been working with them on okay this is where you're really strong this is where what you're wired up to do and go do that learn how to do that and you will succeed so much faster than if you sit around and try to regroup around the things and retool around things that you probably will never be really good at so yes that is a huge factor in really understanding how to put yourself in a position to win and then letting other people win uh, the other part of, of, of what you said is that when you hire people, you have to be really careful. Uh, and that's the, some of the, the worst mistakes I ever made was when I hired people who were not really good for the organization. And this happens sometimes. All of us who've ever hired people know what I'm talking about. That is when, you know, someone looks good on paper. They've got the right references even. They've, they've got the right things they say. They know the industry. But there's something inherently not right about them uh, for your organization and culture and when you let them in it's just like uh, literally a cancer that spreads to the organization and the other staff will usually surround that and try to expel it and so it's really a rough thing when you let the wrong people into your organization they may be good in another organization but if they're not right for yours you got to be really careful up front 
to avoid as many of those individuals that are, are going to be toxic to your company. And that's one of the things we did. When we found this and we saw people there, I tried to get them out as fast as I could because I knew it would ruin the culture if we didn't. And those are painful, fierce conversations, and nobody likes to have them. But it's absolutely necessary to keep a company up and up, happy, moving, innovative, and a culture of respect and trust. And if you don't respect some of the people around you, then it starts to deteriorate very quickly. How do you fire someone well? <laughs> well, it's, it's just not easy. But, um, and, it's, and I'm going to tell everyone, it's a little harder than it used to be. I mean, of course, there are certain uh, situations where, you know, you're, if you're in a right-to-work state, it's a little easier. Uh, but I do think that almost any individual that has potential but is having performance issues needs to be coached and you've got to tell them the truth. Um, these reviews aren't necessary. These annual reviews don't do the trick. You have to ha really meet with your teams and that's yeah. one of the things that I would do if I'm teaching leaders what to do. If you find someone who's struggling a bit, who's not quite found their place, you've got to spend the time with them. Once again, it's the hard work and you coach them and you talk to them and you say, what, what, do we need to do to help you in this situation or maybe you should move to another team or maybe you're not happy here uh, or maybe this is or being upset with them for not performing well and like and like scolding them you are all about helping when in, until you realize that it's just not a good fit but like well, you, all, yeah. you want to nurture and grow your employees absolutely and I've seen some people that you thought we're hopeless and all of a sudden you get them in the right situation again it's putting people and this is a big secret to knowing your strengths if I really know and I had I gave every person on my team's always uh, the Myers-Briggs assessment because I wanted to understand right on paper where the strengths were and where their weaknesses were and I could help them and say okay here are your strengths what kind of situation do we have you in are you hitting your strength and situation in the same tempo that you should be and if I can put you in a situation that really builds on your strengths you're going to succeed um, and is it saying that that person is wanting to and willing and a, a nice person now that goes without saying but yeah that's how it works now sometimes though there are individuals that just again they, they are just not good for the organization and their management style or their way of dealing people is maybe mean, just, just a whole out mean or rude or terse or, or not inclusive. And when that happened, I had to just literally pull them aside and say, I think you need to go someplace else. I think we need to part ways. And uh, you just do it. It's a, sometimes it's a hard cut uh, mm -hmm. because to let them go on. And usually, Caroline, those individuals aren't really happy either. Right, because right. if they're in a situation where they know people are tense around them and projects aren't moving like they should, then they're usually not very happy either. And I would find that it was harsh to sometimes deliver that. But then when they would move on to something else, many times they would find a place where they were in a better place. And I had so many of them come back to me later through the years. They were mad at me, you know, for months maybe or whatever. But, you know, two or three years down the road, I'd get a Christmas card from them. They would call me and say, thanks, you really did me a favor. Um, and so it, you have to look at it that way. You've got to help people find their place. And it's not always a perfect fit for everybody. So you were talking about in Cowgirl Power, you set out some specific to-dos for people on how to run a business. And you said one of them, like you mentioned quickly, was how to run a meeting. I'm interested, what are some of the tactics to run a great meeting? 
Well, first of all, you know, it's if you're in a meeting, you need to say something. Now, I understand there are many introverts out there, but if you have been invited to be in a meeting, you need to do your homework, you need to be prepared, and when you show up, you need to have something to contribute. And then you earn the respect of the team, and then you're a real valid part of that team. Um, people who walk in the room and just sit there, you know, I don't have much use for it, really. I mean, even introverts, I'll let them have their moment to think, uh, and they usually come back with more information later, and that's fine. But you've got to be able to do that. And then whoever, there's someone who's basically running a meeting, usually, and they can't just be talking the whole time you have to let the other people have a voice and you go around the room and you listen and being a great leader is also a good listener uh, you Amen. must listen to people and if you don't you're going to miss out part part of what we were always doing in our meetings it was, was at the same time now there are different kinds of meetings but most of our meetings were, were what we call think tank sessions or ideation sessions and so we would put like paper on the wall, sticky notes, whatever, and we would just open it up by saying, look, no idea is a bad idea. Just blurt it out. Just get it out there, and we're just going to put it on the wall. Just put it on the wall. I don't care if it sounds completely stupid or crazy or whatever. Just let's just get it up there, and you'd be surprised sometimes how that kind of off-the-wall idea or thought could end up coming in to play into a bigger idea later. So you wanted people to feel comfortable to speak out and that we wouldn't judge you and we would still trust you and respect you even if you didn't come out with something that was conventional. Because you think about it, the unconventional strange response sometimes or something from a different point of view could actually be very revealing. And uh, we would do that with our clients too. You know, they love the think tank sessions. And uh, we would put these ideas together and put different teams together and let them just go off and, and come up with things. But then it takes a skilled person to kind of pull it all together, you know, and say, okay, what do we have here? And then try to make a path in a sense. In a, a, because I always think that when you leave a meeting, you know, you shouldn't just leave with, you know, guessing, well, what, what happened there? Oh, that's terrible. You know, if, if everyone walks out confused and we don't know what we're going to do next, you can't do that. You got to leave every meeting. You first, you have an agenda when you come in. People ideate, people can say whatever they want. They have an opportunity to speak. They're trusted. And then when you walk out, even if it's not the perfect end-all answer, there needs to be the follow-up that's going to happen. What do we do after this meeting? What did we accomplish and what's next? And if you do that, then everyone feels like they have uh, a reason to speak, a reason to go on that journey. And then after it, there's real tangible action steps that have to be taken. And it may mean that we got to regroup again uh, or, or the third time or the fourth time, but we move ahead each time and everyone knows that there is an actionable item for them when they walk out the door, not just for everybody. Each person has to have something that they're going to go do to make this come to fruition. I love that you take the time to get to know your employees, you take the time to really be selective about who you hire to make sure they're going to add to the team. You give them the opportunity to discover who they are by you put them all through the Myers-Briggs. You want them to be on the right team. You help guide them if they aren't quite thriving yet. I love that you take the time to do all that stuff because a lot of people in power don't 
do that. They just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to fool with it. They don't want to have those conversations. They don't want to spend that time getting to know who they have on their teams. And they just throw people into a situation and be like, make it happen. When really, with just a little bit of navigating, a little bit of TLC, you can really give people the confidence to thrive and put them in situations to thrive, which I think in the long run, it benefits you as the leader, even though it's more exhausting probably on the front end, because you have to spend so much time with each individual. You do it in the beginning, and then you have these people who are thriving in your company, and it makes you have such a great atmosphere in your workplace. I wish more leaders did that. I feel like that would make so many more businesses thrive, and so many more people feel like they have a voice to be heard, and they matter, and they can speak their minds, and speak up on their ideas, and they won't be shot down. You know, I think that's, it's so smart. It feels so simple, but yet it's not necessarily the normal for big businesses. Yeah, it is true. Um, we are not very good uh, usually at training our people, bringing them along and all that. It's kind of a sink or swim a lot of times mentality, which is, you know, some of that's okay because you want people who are self-starters and can do some things on their own. And that's fine. And we always did that. I mean, we rewarded that. But one of the things that, that was a, the outcome of being able to put in the time with people up front and working with them to find, you know, their best place is the longevity that you have with the key staff. If you have constant turnover, it's very expensive, for one thing, to run a business that way. You lose confidence with clients because they have a revolving door of teams. And third, you don't have that continuity that you need. Um, and that doesn't mean that everyone needs to stay in a job for 20 years. I'm, I'm not suggesting that. But it's very important that, you know, you have team members who are willing to stick with you through the thick and thin and provide that glue and that continuity throughout your business. I had people when I left who had been with me for 26 years out of the 30. Uh, and it was pretty amazing, you know, as they, we all navigated this thing together and grew the company. Uh, I really respected them and many of them were on my management team uh, because they they understood, you know, and they could help bring along the, the new staff and new team members. So you need a balance, you know, of, of new people, new blood coming in, new ideas, new thinking. But it's always good that if you can create an environment where people want to stay and they want to build their career there, you just think about it. Um, we spend more time with our work staffs and with our, our teams than anybody else you deal with. If you're really in an engaging role in a company or in a firm or an organization, that's who you spend your time with. And if you have people who vote their confidence in your company and your teams, that's very gratifying that they're saying, wow, I want to come here for 20 years. I'll be here 20 years. And I've had several people who came and then retired. They were ready to move on to retirement, basically. And, uh, and that's it was sad sometimes to see them go, but at the same time, they had been there many years and, and put in their time. And, and the advertising business, is we always say it's like dog years. It's tough. It's a very demanding business. And so it's very gratifying, again, when people um, choose to, to spend their career with you uh, and, and vote with their time. As a woman CEO for almost 30 years of one of the top advertising agencies in the country, what did you learn from the highs and what did you learn from the lows? 
Well, the highs were really good, great. <laughs> and I look back on them now and uh, in that scenario, and it was just so exciting when we would launch like a big campaign that really was working or, you know, we, we were able to move our clients on or some of our clients got promoted because of the work we did. And I will never forget, Caroline, the most, one of the most thrilling moments of my life is that we launched this new campaign for Dell and it was launched in Times Square in New York City, and Michael was speaking at Reuters that day, and we had uh, this huge campaign that launched on the big screens in Times Square, and it was so okay. exciting. And I'll never forget our client, we got a big limo, and our clients and all of us got in there, and we drove through Times Square, and we watched the small business people cheering as they saw their faces on these screens, and it was just one of the most exciting things of my life, and it worked, and it made money, and all that stuff, and it, and it also was gratifying for small business people, so it was just a great, great moment. Those are great. On the downside, I'll, I'll never forget the beginning of 2009, and every phone call I got was from a client who had lost money, was in terrible shapes because of the recession hitting, and we had to let people go. We had to restructure salaries. We had so many horrible things happen, and it, it, it's just gut-wrenching to have to let 40 people go on one day. I mean, it's, oh, wow. it's, a, tough, it's a toughest thing you do as a, a leader uh, is, is have to make those hard cuts because you just don't have the money to pay them. And that's what people are going through right now. You know, they can't do it. They can't survive. So you have millions unemployed, which is just heartbreaking. It's just the worst thing any business owner has to do. And I feel so bad for everyone unemployed, but I feel just as bad for the person who had to say goodbye to sometimes employees they'd had for years. That's really rough. And so it hurts on both sides d deeply. What's your message for those low times, like a recession? You know, you just have to dig down into every ounce of courage you have. Uh, every, if you're spiritual, if you have any faith, if you have any inner peace, anything that you can draw on, uh, whatever it takes, just your moral compass, whatever, you've just got to go back there and say, I'm doing the best thing I can for this situation. Uh, I tried to hold on to as many people as I can, and I think business owners are doing that now. Uh, it's, it's just, there's no easy way around it. But what I would do um, when I had to make cuts like that and, and do those things is that I would say to myself, you know, I've got to save the total organization. If I don't do these hard cuts and if I don't make tough decisions, and it wasn't always just about cutting staff. It was about cutting other things in our budget. I would go through with a fine tooth comb and try to cut out anything I could in our budget that was nice but not necessary. And you would do that, everything you could to kind of solve the business, you know, to keep it afloat. And so it's tough. You have to do it. But if you can, then hopefully – when you look on the other side of this and we can see the, when the end comes, you will have still have an organization. You'll still have a company. And if you don't make the tough decisions quickly enough, and I know it's hard, but you have to make hard cuts very quickly or you will not survive to see the other side of this thing. Mm -hmm. That's very true. What have you learned being a CEO woman and a mother at the same time? And what is your... What do you want to tell women who want to be like you, who want to be a powerful woman in business and also don't want to sacrifice being a mother? Well, I wouldn't trade being a mom for anything. It's the greatest job you ever have in your life. It's the toughest job, too. And I always laughed at a good friend of mine who said, just about the time you're qualified for the job of being a mother, you're out of work. 
because they go off <laughs> and they leave and your, your job's over. But you're never really through as a mom your entire life. You're always a mother. Um, so it was always, a, you know, a big thing to me. I enjoyed our children in every phase in their lives. Uh, I tried to be there with them. But, you know, I also had to be true to myself. And not only did I love my work and I love putting myself into a career position to win um, I needed to do it to make money I, I was I took help take care of my own mother and so my family depended on my hard work and so that's very motivational too because you want to make sure that you can do all you can for your family and if you know that you're the one who's the rainmaker and can make that work then it's your responsibility back to the family so some of the times that I wasn't able to be with them or I had to sacrifice the time away from them I always justified it to them and to me that this is what I had to do for all of us. And, uh, and I think parents have to make those decisions sometimes. It's not easy, but, you know, one time uh, Rebecca, who you know, was asked a question. We were at a conference and I was on the stage speaking and I had introduced her on the front row. And when it was over, the first question that came from the audience was not to me, but it was to her. And they said, so, Rebecca, what was it like growing up with a mom like that? And, Caroline, my heart just sank because I had no idea what she was going to say. I'd never even ask. I'd never ask her that. And so she said, she answered honestly. And she said, well, I have to say that sometimes I really miss my mom. And she wasn't there sometimes when I wanted her to be there. And it made me sad. But she said, I have to admit, when she was there, she was all there. And I knew she was with me. I always knew she loved me. And when she was at that moment with us, she was all in at that moment. So that made me feel pretty good, although she also admitted that she did miss me. And there were times that made her really sad. Um, so it's, a it's not a balance. You can't always balance things. And I don't want people to worry about that either. Um, it, sometimes the pendulum swings different ways. But you do your best and, um, you know, I, I, honestly, my advice to some of the younger mothers now is it's easier to be distracted now than it used to be. You know, when my children were younger, I didn't have 15 devices and my phone ringing all the time and emails on my phone and text messaging and, you know, Apple watches and all this stuff where I can be distracted in a second. So I really was with them when I was with them. And sometimes the only way a person could get to me was on a landline and you could just not answer the phone <laughs> or let it go to a voicemail. So it's a little tougher now and uh, our parents need to be aware of the fact that I've heard some little kids say my mommy stares in a screen all the time. Well sometimes you're working and they're seeing that but then there's sometimes that you're just distracted and you need to put that down and when you're with your child be with them and let them know that you are paying attention to them and really listening and working with them and not trying to do 25 multitask things at the same time, although it's tempting, and I know that, but be with them when you're there. You said motherhood is the greatest job you've ever had and you wouldn't trade it. What have you learned from motherhood? What has it taught you about yourself? Well, you know, women need to take heart. If you can manage a family and you manage all the things that you have to do to take care of your children and their health care needs, and, and you usually are the one who's responsible for how do they get from school to this practice to do this to that. I mean, it's a total logistics game. And if you can organize and do that, then you are very qualified to be a manager in any organization because it's, it's you learn a lot from being a mom just on the logistics side for one thing. The other part is 
how to show compassion when sometimes you don't feel it. Your children can just put you over the edge sometimes. And my goodness, they're needy and they're crying and they're upset and, they, and they're children and, and they don't always understand things. And so for you to be able to love them and care for them, even when it doesn't feel very gratifying and you don't get much back, that's the true test of love. And that's what it takes when you love your company, when you love your organization, when you love that, you have to know that you don't always get the kudos when you want them. And you don't always get that pat on the back or you don't always get that immediate gratification that sometimes we are looking for. Maybe it's months, years later, you know, and now that I've looked back on my career, I'm thinking about on some things that right now I'm finally feeling the love and a little bit of a benefit from things I did maybe 15 years ago. You didn't get it at the time, but same thing as being a mom. You know, you look at your children and if they are out there, you know, doing pretty well and you've been able to put them through school or whatever you did to help them and get them on their feet, then you look at them and say, wow, they're nice human beings. I did a good job. I, I'm okay with that. And yeah, we all make mistakes and they may not be as grateful as they could be or whatever. That's okay. Uh, but it's, it's really very, very uh, interesting. If you can be a good mom, you can do anything. I mean, it is just like the test of time. You know, it's it's the greatest lesson we can ever learn to navigate life, really. So I want to talk about your artwork. Um, have you always been an artist? Did you pick this up later in life? And you have a theme of it feels like Texas sky. And tell me about that. Okay, so I went to school um, in the late, I went in the 70s, I must admit. And um, I was a Bachelor of Fine Arts and Studio Art major. So I was I really trained to be a fine artist. I went through, you know, tons and tons of time in, in the classroom and drawing and painting and sculpting and art history and all those things. So I, I really learned how to be an artist. But when I got out of school, I realized, again, I needed to make money and there wasn't a, a really great career path for me as an artist to make the money I needed to. So I went in the advertising business because I could draw and I could write copy. I, could, I was a writer. And so that's how I made money. Um, and ended up one thing led to another and I started my own agency. But that's why I went in the advertising business. Dial back to 2015, I decided that, you know what, maybe I'll just, I have a little bit of time at the ranch, I'll just pick up a paintbrush, I'll see what happens and just have fun with it. So I did, and I just started painting and I went through all kinds of things, and this is where it goes to the hard work. Um, I tried all kinds of techniques and mediums and all these things, and one day I kind of got in a groove and I felt like after hours and hours and hours and hours of work that I was into something I really liked. And what it was is I had looked up one day and thought, why am I recreating this or this? I've got the most beautiful thing in the world right in front of my face every day, the Texas skies. And I'm at this wonderful ranch where the skies are huge and big and open and the sunsets and sunrises and rainstorms and moons and all these things are just majestic and if I could capture this in an abstract way or any way I can then that's really kind of something we all can understand all of us kind of yearn for the big sky for the beauty that we see in nature and so I just kind of started doing that and one thing led to another I ended up miraculously it's a long story. I won't go into it, but it's in the book. Uh, with a one-woman show in New York at a gallery, I had three uh, shows in New York uh, all together, a, sh a big show in Houston, and one in Austin. And then I've opened my own gallery at our ranch now, and I've sold over 100 paintings in the last few years. But wow. 
it was it was something that I had put aside for all those years because I was too busy in the business and I didn't have time to paint. And, and now it's something, it's a luxury that I have time to paint and really study the sky and recreate these things that uh, a lot of people find are, are attractive and they want them in their homes or in their businesses. So it's exciting to see them find homes. When our paintings leave, they go to homes and it always makes me happy. What does painting do for your soul? Oh, it just frees me up. It's, you know, um, I have to admit that um, I've always, I have to laugh at myself. I've always been a multitasker. I've always been able to do a lot of things. Always distracted, always running around, you know, just kind of into 50 things at one time. Um, but for some reason, painting is a really grounding thing for me. And when I get in my zone and I'm painting and I'm only concentrating on what's on the canvas and what I'm doing and the colors and looking at the sky, I can lose hours and hours of time. Sometimes I'll look down at my watch and I'll go, oh my gosh, I've been painting. I've been working on this painting for four hours and I didn't, I didn't realize it. The last time I looked at my watch, it was one o'clock and now it's five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, or, you know, I start on painting when I see the colors and I, I work into the night. So it's, it's one of these things that it's all therapy to me in so many ways, because it's a way for me to lose myself into that and put everything else away. And I don't, I'm not distracted or worried about other things when I'm painting. I just completely focus on what I'm doing in that moment. And it's, it's a very nice thing. It's like a, a form of meditation, I guess, uh, or, or really being able just to, lock into something and let everything else go you know we talk so much about mindfulness now and all that it's just a way for me to shut everything down and just have the luxury of only focusing on that moment i have a couple more questions and i'm gonna wrap up um you obviously on being a ceo a mother an artist um a author you and your husband lee work together Y'all live together, you ranch together. What is the secret to success for being with your spouse in all areas of life like you are? Because y'all have been together for many years. Oh, yes. Well, when I started my company, he was in another company, and then he started another one during that recession also. But I convinced him to come uh, into T3 about four years into it because I really needed his strengths and his expertise. And when I mentioned to you earlier that operations is not really my strong suit, it was his and he knew how to organize the organization and get us ready to go and so be it you know the real estate we were officing out of being it the technology we needed to create campaigns be it you know all of the structures that we had to have to run the company and to grow it that was him and he was very strategic with those things and could also see strategies on how to Put us into that next innovative place so we've just are different that's the key i mean if you look at the myers-briggs we're, we're somewhat alike in some ways but we're very different in certain ways and we appreciate each other's differences so we were if we'd been just alike or too much alike we probably would have stepped on each other but because he was good at his thing and i was good at my thing and we both recognized this we were able to and i don't want to take take this wrong but we were able to take advantage of each other's strengths and weaknesses and use them for the common good and so that was a great way that we worked and we didn't step on each other's toes i let i trusted him and, and you know we always consulted on everything but if he could do his thing and make that work i didn't question it 
he didn't question what I was doing. And so we just made it work together as a team and a very strong team. We've also been a team in real estate. We've had that. We've had our ranch together. And uh, he does what he does well, and I do what I do well. And we just respect that. And because of it, um, I'm not going to say we've never had a disagreement uh, or we've never had words over something, but we've always figured out a way. We, we worked through it. And it goes back to how we ran the company. The minute we saw something happen, you just you would just shoot straight with people right then. And you didn't try to push the can down the road. You would just address it, deal with it, be as honest with the staff, and move on. And that's how we were with each other. If we saw something that just wasn't right or we were concerned about, we just have to say stop. We got to deal with this right now. Um, the things that really get to be a problem, I think, for couples, uh, for anyone married, for any teams, is when you just allow something to go on and on and you don't address it and like I said with maybe what we're seeing on the streets of the United States today things that, that go on and on and aren't addressed get to be really big problems and had they been addressed as quickly as you identify the issue sometimes those problems can be solved much more pain, painlessly, much more beautifully. Uh, and uh, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but if you hit it head on, then you move on. And that is something both of us, both Lee and I grew up in small towns on farms and ranches. And that's how those people dealt with life. I mean, you when you were confronted with a problem, you had to deal with it. Let's say, you know, the cows busted through the fence. We got to go deal with it. You know, it's, it's a drought. What do you do? You know, it's, it's, you know, freezing outside and all the tanks are, are frozen up. You go out and bust the tanks up and so the animals have something to drink. You address things right then and you don't you let them go on. to wait when you're a cowboy or cowgirl because the livestock could die. Exactly. And, and so there were, it's kind of the rules of the trail. I talk about trailblazing, but you, you had to deal with things when they came up right then uh, or, or you're, it's life and death. So that's just the way we were taught as children that you don't push things under the rug. You just deal with it and then you move on. And many times by doing that, you've mitigated the very worst fears by just saying, hey, this is what it is. Let's deal with it fix it the best we can and move on. And then realizing there's some things that are just flat out of your control and there's nothing you can do anything about and let that go. Do the best you can to mitigate that situation, but knowing that you can't not control everything. Uh, when I talk about droughts, we can't make it rain. <laughs> and, you know, when it doesn't rain, you figure things out around it and, you know, you conserve and you do things differently. Um, and so it's just mitigating the worst but facing it head on yeah you're so wise i mean i'm so glad you give speeches all over the country you have so much wisdom you're so, like profound wisdom it's been such a pleasure talking to you i've known you my whole life and i've always loved and respect you but to get to have this conversation has been so eye-opening for me so thank you for joining me today i well, always wrap up with well, one last thing, Caroline, is that I've always admired your spunk and tenacity and who you are and how you kind of go and get what you want, uh, which is great. And also, I, I appreciate you doing your homework before this interview today because you asked some really great questions. So thank you. Oh, well, thanks, Gay. Well, you're a fascinating woman, and it's just a pleasure to have you on here. I want to have two questions. Um, the one question I want to ask you is, what does success mean to you? Now that I have gotten to this point in my career, it's 
what I love most are the two things we talked about. And that is that my children have grown up to be good people. And that means a lot to me. Um, I like them. I like being with them. That's a big thing. It's huge. So that has been, you know, the greatest thing that Lee and I have accomplished. But the other part of it, and one of the reasons why I got so much joy out of being a CEO and owning a company all those years, was I look back now on how many jobs we created and how many times that we really enable families because of our T3 and under program, the baby program, and because we provided jobs and income for so many people through the years that it was, it's really wonderful that we were able to be contributors to the economy, to our clients, to, you know, and helping our clients to grow and, and prosper. So those are the things that mean the most to me now um, is really that. And, and then last, you know, to be able to return uh, to my roots as an artist is just, totally fabulous and it's it means a whole lot to me that I can finally go back to something that I've started out wanting to do and now I've got the opportunity to go back to that I love that um, I wrap every interview with leave your light and it's just a very vague question answer it however you feel what do you want people to know about me or anything anything whatever what do you want people to know know that we are all fragile in many ways um, you can be very tough on the outside you can have a lot of wisdom but you have to deal with the voices inside you that sometimes doubt things and sometimes are afraid and it's okay because if you listen to those things and pay attention you will actually become a better person. And it's really hard to go through those valleys sometimes that I talk about uh, and pain. And, and there's just a lot of things that we all as human beings and the human condition have to go through. But, you know, that there's an old phrase that that doesn't, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it's really true. Um, and, and when you come out on the other side of those downtimes, whatever they may be, um, you really do see that, wow, maybe I really appreciate things more uh, or I feel so much more grateful than I did or I'm so happy and I can be happy in just smaller things. Uh, and so that's, I, I, real quick, I've laughed at a woman who ran the largest law firm in, in the world, basically. She was the managing partner of the whole thing. And she told a story the other day that she hadn't really cooked a meal in so many years. And now that she's home during the virus, she literally is growing basil for the first time in her backyard. She went out, picked it and smelled it and came in and made something. And she said it was one of the happiest she had been in her entire life. And can you imagine that? Um, you know, with all the success, with all the things she's been through and the ups and downs, of course, and huge victories she's had in her life, just to have the simple joy of smelling some basil because it reminded her of her mother and she was able to cook something that was very delicious and that was very gratifying. So sometimes we can get a lot of pleasure and joy out of just small, small things that maybe you're so quickly running through life that you miss. So think about those things and enjoy the small things. They can be very beautiful. Well, you had said this and I would love to know, what do you want people to know about you? Oh, me? Um, I'm a pretty tough competitor. <laughs> I enjoy competing. I always have. 
Um, and here's my latest accomplishment. I set goals and I do things called timelining your life and it's in the book. And one of the goals I set for myself over a year ago was that I was going to start strength training because I'd never really done it. I'd done yoga, I'd done some exercise, but I was always running around so much I never stopped to do it. So I have just eclipsed over 400,000 pounds that I've lifted and I'm getting strong. I'm not trying to be a, a you know, weight lifter, you know, huge buff purse or anything i'm just trying to be strong so that i can move on for the next 40 years and you know we may all live to be a long time and i've got to face that with strength and my body is part of that strength so we have to take care of ourselves and maybe this time of being home some and some people who've not been quite at the pace they have been take care of your body take care of yourself because I've always laughed at some of the older people I've known and said, gosh, if I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. So I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to take care of myself because I don't think anything is over for me yet. Uh, I've got, who knows what the runway says ahead. I love to look ahead. I'm always kind of in the future and I'm thinking, well, what's the next thing I'm going to do? And it may not be huge, but it may be something significant i'm not sure so we have to take care of ourselves so we're prepared for the next thing i love that gay you are so inspiring you are such an example of just a woman who does it all and i'm so grateful to have you in my life on such a personal level and thank you for joining me today this was an amazing conversation thank you so much and i hope i've helped somebody out there oh i'm sure you have and everyone check out her book cowgirl power can you get it anywhere online uh, Amazon's easiest. Just go right there. and It's right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Amazon runs the world, basically. Pretty much these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a great rest of your day, Gay, and thank you so much for joining me. Hope to see you soon. Yeah, you too, Caroline. I'm glad we could work this out. It's wonderful. Me too. Okay, bye, Gay. Take, bye. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.